Tonight's reading is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands, and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked round at at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Thank you very much, uh, Ruth. Over the last 20 or so years, uh, the West has experienced a, a deconversion from Christianity. Uh, that's the claim, anyway, of the evangelist Sam Chan. Uh, he basically says that uh, across the world, all sorts of different people are coming to faith. Uh, they're moving from a, a place of bondage to freedom. But in the West, the opposite's been true. Uh, people have seen becoming a Christian as not freedom, but enslavement, in o- oppression. A life bound by rule after rule after rule. It's certainly a view that rung true with many of the folk that I know. Maybe it's something that you're even thinking this evening. Follow the rules and gain life, they say. But I don't really want to follow any rules. Life can't be found in rules. Uh, And that view isn't a a new one. It's the exact same thing the Pharisees were saying. And it's a view that Jesus came up against time after time after time. And Jesus says, follow me and be given life. I know which one uh, I would choose. But as we dive into this passage and we see that this evening, let's start uh, by praying together. Loving Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that in it is life. Thank you that it is good. 
Uh, And we pray this evening that we would see Jesus more clearly, see his life more fully, and enjoy it more dearly. Amen. Uh, If you joined us uh, last Sunday evening, uh, you'd have seen the end of chapter 5, where where Jesus and the Pharisees were were kind of going at it against each other. Uh, Jesus was saying, look, um, you you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Uh, Your religious rule-keeping just does not fit with what it means to to love and serve the Lord God Almighty. And now Luke wants to rub that in for us. And so he inserts uh, two stories, verse 1, that happened one Sabbath, and again, verse 6, that happened on another Sabbath. Uh, Luke is going to press home (coughs) what it means to have life in Jesus, uh, to not be bound by rules of death that the Pharisees hold to. And the focus is on the Sabbath. The focus is on the Pharisees saying, you must keep the Sabbath. And Jesus saying, I think you've got it all wrong. But what do the Pharisees actually say well, just first to remind, the Sabbath is from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Uh, and they'd probably say, start off, they'd probably go to um, uh, Exodus 20, uh, the Ten Commandments. They say, Look, commandment number four uh, says this, uh, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Uh, on, it you should know, not, sorry, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Play this day, they say, look, you you cannot do any work on the Sabbath, case closed. But what is work? What's work? Uh, Well, to help them answer that question, uh, they created uh, 39 different categories of types of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. It included things like planting and ploughing and reaping and freshening and winnowing, preparing food, weaving and writing and a whole list of others. With the only exception being to save life, including helping with childbirth or childbirth itself. You'd kept that list and you kept the law. But whose law were they keeping? And here we see Jesus come up here, not, not to, to soften the blow and say, oh, can we just make these rules a little easier to, to say, oh, can we, can we just make this guidance a, a bit more bearable? No, he says, you've got it all wrong. I'm not going to give you new rules. In fact, you've just got it completely, you've just completely missed the point. Later, Jesus would sum up the whole law like this. He would say, to love God and love people. And he's going to show the Pharisees that, in fact, they're the ones who are guilty of breaking the law. So let's dive in 
uh, with the two examples that Luke gives us. Uh, here's the, the first example. Example 1, verses 1 to 5. five uh, food for the hungry. Uh, Jesus and the disciples were, were going through the cornfields. And as they went through, the disciples uh, picked uh, some corn. Uh, they, they rubbed it together. Uh, they threw away the bit they didn't want. And they ate the wheat they did. And they did that because they were genuinely hungry. Uh, that's something they were allowed to do. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, 23:25 says, uh, "If you enter a neighbor's cornfield, you may pick the ears with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing corn." It was a provision in the law to mean that people could eat. Uh, you couldn't commercially profit from it, but you wouldn't go hungry. So the Pharisees had no problem with them doing that. But they had a problem because it was done on the Sabbath. They had a problem because it was done on the Sabbath. They had a problem because they were reaping with their hands. They had a problem because they were freshing with their fingers. They had a problem because they were winnowing as they threw bits away. And they had a problem because they were preparing food and eating. And that's why they say, verse 2, why are they, the disciples, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I mean, it sounds silly to us, doesn't it? But they were absolutely serious. They're saying, you are breaking the rules. So Jesus reminds them of a story. He tells them of a story that can be found in 1 Samuel 21, verses 3 to 6. But verse 4 in our passage sums it up well. It says, He, that's King David, entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. According to the letter of the law, David broke it because his men were starving. But yet nobody condemned David because his need was genuine. They were starving, and the only food available was one that was normally reserved for the priest. But the basic human need that the law of love of others outweighed the the exact letter of the law, but not the spirit of it. And what is more, Jesus adds then in verse 6, he says, well, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, look, King David was the Lord's anointed. He could arbitrate what was right what was the right view of the law? And no one condemned him. Well, here I stand as Lord of the Sabbath, uh, the one, the Lord, Son of Man, the Messiah, uh, the one who sits above the Sabbath. How much more can I arbitrate what is right and good? The disciples weren't going to starve that day. But why withhold food because of cold law-keeping? How could a God who made the world, who's the the source of life and love itself, be so cold? Well, he's not, and he couldn't. Your rules, Jesus says to the Pharisees, do not help you to love God and love other people. Your rules actually make you break God's law. And then he gives a second example in verses 6 to 11, uh, healing for the sick. 
Uh, Luke tells us again, uh, verse 6, on another Sabbath, uh, Jesus went into synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man who, who, who was there whose hand, right hand, was shriveled. A man whose life was severely impaired, but crucially not in mortal danger. As well as this man, there was also, verse 7, the Pharisees, man that teach the law, who were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Luke's setting up this scene for us. Jesus, uh, the man with, with the, the right hand who shriveled, the, the Pharisees there uh, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. But more than that, Jesus himself is setting up this scene. He makes it all the more prominent. Verse 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Now we don't know but I would imagine if we were in that church or that synagogue, should say, it would be utterly quiet. You could hear a pin drop and cut the tension with a knife. But then one voice is heard. It's Jesus with a question. I ask you, he says to the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? It's a question you don't read much time to think about, is it? But yet there was no answer coming. Verse 10, Jesus looked round. And there was silence. So he said, stretch out your hand. And the man did so, and it was completely healed. Uh, the Pharisees that teach the law did not want to answer, but they were furious, verse 11, when the man got healed. Uh, they were no doubt incensed because Jesus was, was not listening to their authority. But also, if they'd heard that he was claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath, that he claimed some sort of divinity, they were furious for that as well. And then these men, who so prized God's law, so prized their law as well, that this is the point when they start their path onto murdering God himself. Luke wants to rub in that the religion of the Pharisees was nothing but cold law that was incapable of bringing life. Indeed, more than that, they were in fact captive to death and stood in direct opposition to Jesus but what difference does all this make what difference does all this make well firstly rule keeping will not get you to God only Jesus will rule keeping will not get you to God only Jesus will uh, the Pharisees thought that the way to please God was to, to follow their set of prescribed rules. Well, we have a, a word for that, uh, and that's legalists. Uh, legalists are, are there who view salvation as an equation. 
Uh, there's X, that's my sin, and Y, that's my, my work, my, my rule-keeping. Well, X plus Y equals salvation. Uh, my sin, but plus my rule-keeping, equals my salvation. My work overcomes my sin. Uh, a legalist completely removes Jesus from the equation because they become their own Messiah. But a legalist can't save themselves from their own sin any more than a person who needs a heart bypass can do the operation themselves. And we might scoff at the Pharisees and think, picking grain. I mean, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit picky, isn't it? How foolish they are and how, how foolish to think that they can save themselves with their own law, their own rule keeping. But I know my heart actually is not always that too different. I just have different rules. So why is there a voice in my head that tells me that God loves me more today because I read my Bible in the morning? Why is it that I think I'm a a better Christian than yesterday because I went to the prayer meeting last night? Why is it that I that I wonder how could God ever love me because I did that thing that I said I would never do again. They're different rules. But they're still rules. And at this point, I, I, I wish the camera was a mirror because I need to hear this so much. There is not one day that God does not totally and completely love us because of his son, Jesus. There is not one day that I am not accepted today, loved today, forgiven today because of that day, because of that green hill, because of that cross, because of that time when Jesus died for me the righteous for the unrighteous, not to guide me to God, not to show me the way to God, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring me to God. Only Jesus can bring me to God, not my rule-keeping. I am loved, accepted, forgiven every day because of him. And that's the grounds for my life and my love. But it's also worth asking ourselves, why is it then that people think that Christianity is about rule-keeping? What have we as a church said or done to give people that impression? What have we as individuals said or done to give people that impression? How have we as a church told people, you've got to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus? Do we offer people rules instead of offering people Jesus? Does that mean there are no commands to follow? No, God loves us too much for that. Uh, Just ask any teacher or parent 
who will tell you that a child only flourishes when they have boundaries. And the boundaries that God sets can best be summed up by saying, following Jesus means loving God and loving people. That's the, the royal command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, the Pharisees' Pharisees' rules were really about them, about their way of showing the world how great they were. It wasn't about loving God and, and loving other people. So what might true obedience to Jesus look like? What, what does it mean to, to love God and love people? Well, let me try to, to paint you a picture. Imagine this. You wake up in the morning and you're cold and forgetful. You're cold to God. You're forgetful about God. You forget his love. You forget his forgiveness. But yet, you, we, are are sinners who still need his forgiveness every day. But instead of uh, running through the motions and reading our Bibles, just so we can tick the page off in our daily notes and go, yes, done it today, we stop. We pray. We say, Lord, I am tired. I am cold and forgetful. Help me to see your love afresh today. And because of that, I I run to the scriptures. Because there I see of God's love for me. In a passage old or new, I'm reminded of his love for me. And I know that even if I'm too shattered today and I were not to read it, it would not change his love for me. On the way to work, you come to Tesco and you see a man outside who says, money for coffee? Now, you you haven't got any cash on you. But instead of uh, walking by as quickly and awkward-free as possible, you stop. You speak to him. You say, I've got no cash on me, but I can buy you something. You love him because he's somebody made in God's image. Not so you can feel good about yourself, but because you love him. And then you arrive at work and you you want to work hard. You you want to treat the business the same way that the Lord has treated you. And at lunchtime, you intentionally ask questions of your work colleagues. You ask them about their life. You ask them about how things are for them. And and it it might feel like a real one-sided conversation. They don't really ask anything back. But that's okay. Because you're there to, to love them to be interested in their life, not get your own point or, or share your really exciting story and funny story from the weekend. And it may be that, that you don't ever talk about Jesus at this point, but you pray that one day you will. You pray that, that one day one of those questions might be about faith. 
and you pray that you can speak of Christ. And then when you do, they know you mean it because they know you love them. And perhaps during the conversation, the issue turns to abortion. And your heart breaks because you know that every life matters to God. But it also breaks because you know that behind every story, there are others who hurt. The mothers, the fathers that are led to that situation. And when you speak, you don't point fingers. But you speak of, of love. I wish there were a better way. A better way to love the child, the mother, the father. And maybe you think, actually, I'm going to pray more about that. And think how I can help that in the local area. And then when you get home, you're tired and the kids are just... And you say, oh, I wish you would just do what you're told first time. But then you know, there are so many occasions when I haven't listened to what the Lord asked me to do. And he is patient with me. And you know that as a parent, actually, my job is not to raise a little Pharisee who does what he says, but one who loves God and loves people. So you're patient. You pray with them. And you want to show that being a Christian is not a raised, cold law with harsh words. But it's about Jesus who loves us. And, is found, and life is found in him. Then sleep comes, closing my eyes, then trusting my nights to the one who doesn't slumber or sleep. Just imagine that life. Now, I know, I know that's not a lived experience. And many of those things are things that I haven't done or the opposite of what I've done. But that's the life we're called to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Being a Christian should make a difference. Being a Christian should make people think, I want what they've got. Because the way that we live, the way that we lead life, should not be under a burden of rule that must be followed. And people think, oh, aren't they just so troubled? trying to please their God. It should be like helium to balloon, a balloon, lifting us up. Being somebody who knows, even in the midst of life's hardship and troubles, the life and love that comes from Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus does not stand in heaven pointing his finger down. He comes as a babe, as Emmanuel, He grows to be a man and he opened his arms upon the cross and says, come. Come to me. And we need to do the same. To love likewise. And I think we need God's help to do that. So let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you that The Lord Jesus is the centre of love. Thank you that he loved us and loved you perfectly, that he is our perfect example. And Lord, we pray 
that you would help us to love you and to love others like that. Help us to show the world that being a Christian is not about burden, cold, rule-keeping, but is freedom itself. Help us to live that life today, we pray. Amen.